Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here, and I have a fantastic guest for you guys today. Of course, it's NCAA Final Four weekend. And so with that coming up, uh, time for more draft talk because the Knicks aren't really playing for much. So I got a great guest on today. I have Raphael Barlow, who you might know from the Big Board podcast, from the Big Board website, also from his channel, NBA Draft Junkies on YouTube that he's had for a long time. Awesome guest, super knowledgeable. We're going to talk about the NCAA tournament, how it can affect scouting and how much weight to put into the NCAA tournament, as well as talk about the two Duke boys, Paolo Banchero and A.J. Griffin, in this first of two parts today. So it's coming up right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. I want to just thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day, whether it's on your favorite podcast platform or if you're checking us out on YouTube. We really appreciate you guys for making us a part of your daily routine. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Knicks site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. And as I said, I'm joined by one of my Locked On colleagues, Raphael Barlow of the uh, big board podcast covering the draft. So I won't hold us up any further. I got some great conversations coming for you guys today, though. I should just note, uh, this is the first part of two today. So if you're listening to this and it's in the morning, check back in the afternoon and there will be another part where I talk about some other prospects with Raphael before we close out, including a name you've probably never heard before, which there will also be one in this show too. So he gives two really great prospects to look into, but uh, that's for later. For right now, here's the start of the conversation with Raphael Barlow. All right. As promised, I am joined by Raphael Barlow. You might know him as at Barlow500 on Twitter. He wears many hats, just like many of us do in this basketball business. He is the host of the Locked On NBA Draft podcast and co-host of the Big Board Pod with Chad Ford. I understand taking over that pretty soon, as well as the NBA Big Board newsletter. Uh, and also is the founder of the NBA Draft Junkies channel on YouTube, as well as the NBA Draft Junkies website. Raphael, I, I, I had to take a, a long breath to give all of those qualifications <laughs> there. I'm Sounds... honored to have you on the show. And uh, how you doing, man? I understand I'm, you're in Greece uh, right now. Yeah, I'm doing good. I, I just That makes me sound so important. I had to listen like, sheesh, <laughs> but it's all true. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm in Greece right now. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's 2 11 a.m. But uh, you know, I actually, you know, I enjoy talking Knicks. I've done some other Knicks podcasts. The fan base is so passionate, and, and so uh, it, it's always fun because there's always going to be somebody that likes it. And there's always going to be someone that's going to be so direct, be like you are an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the contrast. But yeah, I mean, it's um, every, everything is good right now. So thanks for having me on. Of course, yeah. Thank you for coming on. I. I- 
think I know some of the podcasts you've been on otherwise. And yeah, we certainly have, have some characters in the fan base, but especially this time of year when we're down to the, uh, you know, the doldrums of the regular season, all Knicks fans are starting to look towards the draft, which is of course why I want to talk to you being one of the, one of the better draft voices out there and talent evaluators out there. So I figured we could first talk about the NCAA tournament. Obviously we have the final four coming up here. Uh, this weekend and you know there's been I think a lot of surprises in this tournament despite the fact that like a lot of it sort of went chalk you know with having having Duke end up in the final four I mean I think a lot of people would have said yeah I sort of expect that Kansas you know like there's there's high seeds there if UNC come in is sort of like the the upset special but I, I think that in terms of draft talent there's been a lot of shakeups in this tournament and you know depending on who you talk to i think most guys you know like you've probably been watching most of these prospects since they're in high school uh, most guys that are in the draft community have been and watched their whole college you know season or their whole college career if they have multiple years under their belt so the tournament i feel like a lot of times becomes more of a narrative thing you know what i mean but how do you feel about the the tournament so far and and what are kind of some of your takeaways yeah, I mean, it, it's been good. Only only issue I have with the tournament is that the games start at 1 and 4 o'clock in the morning when I'm here. <laughs> so I watch a game, and then I wake up, and I've missed the whole game. And then I watch the second game that starts at 4, and then it ends at 6, and then now I can't get back to sleep. And then I'm, it, it's it's been difficult. But it's been a very interesting tournament because everyone's bracket – well, I shouldn't say everyone – but I know my bracket was shot in the first <laughs> 48 hours. and uh, But that made it easy for me because it took away the whole – I haven't even looked at the the group I'm in. It took away the whole element of, all right, am I going to win? Usually that's kind of stressful. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, where am I at? I need this team to lose because I want the prize. But because I felt like – I mean, I lost some teams early. It just allowed me to just kind of watch it. And, I mean, we had, like, the crazy upsets. And then somehow, some way, we ended up with four blue blood schools despite all the the crazy upsets. And then, um, you know, it's almost like it's setting up for this storybook Hollywood fairy tale ending, in a sense, for, for Duke if they can win two more games. And then we get Duke Carolina at the Final Four for, like, the tiebreaker. I mean, it's... I mean, it's been great. It's been a very wild and up and down last two weeks. I mean, we've got we had a Cinderella story and then we had like some matchups of, you know, top prospects. Guys play really well. Then they followed up with duds. I mean, it's it's been great. I've enjoyed it, despite the fact that I still can't get my sleeping pattern adjusted to being over here Mm -hmm. because I've spent, you know, I mean, just too many days. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. Up late, up early, I should say. Understandable. I, so, from a from like a scouting perspective, do you think that there are any players that sort of hurt themselves in this NCAA tournament? Like, I mean, just to give a few examples, uh, Jabari Smith and Auburn don't make it out of the first weekend. Chet Holmgren and Gonzaga, you know, don't see the final weekend, even though they were the the top overall seed. Uh, Jaden Ivy and Purdue get bounced by St. Peter's. Likewise with Ty Ty Washington in, in Kentucky, who Ty Ty was a guy that was, you know, being mocked in the Knicks range, certainly. Um, you know, Jalen Duran sort of having his 
his struggles with foul trouble and, and things of that nature in that Gonzaga matchup. Like, do you, th- from a talent evaluation perspective, do you look at, at these games as sort of a way to say, like, well, these are these guys facing things that are at, teams that are out of their comfort zone, that are out of their, mm-hmm. out of their conferences, teams they're never going to see, you know, that, that they have never seen in their career with players they've never seen so far. So is that a good measure of talent or do you find it to be sort of fluky? if certain guys and certain teams get eliminated and not have it affect your evaluation of guys so much? I mean, honestly, there's a human element to it. You, you know, your last impression is something that people are going to remember last in a sense. So if your last game you had 30 points, then you you left on like a, a good note on how people remember how your season ended. If you struggled, then it's the same thing. At least for me, I feel like, you can't really judge them on one game. I mean, you have at least 30-something games with film. But I do feel like how the tournament shakes out in a sense. If there's a prospect that you're really, really high on and he has a great game, you're, you're kind of like, see, I, I knew I was right about this guy. And if there's a prospect that you had concerns about and then he has an awful game, it kind of makes you feel like, all right, see, it was justified that I'm not high on this player as as everyone else. In this tournament, I feel like you saw a lot of your favorite prospects went out looking. And, I mean, they, they didn't have their best performance. I think Jabari was like three for either three for 13 or three for 16. Um, you know, like, again, I just think it boils down to how well you like a player. And if mm-hmm. they played bad, then you're like, oh, see, I, you know, my, my concerns were magnified there. But overall, I mean, you still have at least 30 games. And then in cases like Ocha Agbaji from Kansas, who I still feel like, despite the fact that he's played there four years and has over 113 games of experience, I think that his stock could rise or fall based off of how he plays in these last two games, which I think is really weird that the guy that has the most experience is still on shaky ground while, I mean, I think you can almost pencil in, in in no particular order, Van Carroll, Holmgren, Smith, and Ivy as your top four picks, despite that they're all freshmen except Ivy. Yeah, yeah. I was actually just going to bring up, like, the the risers like that, like Abaji, you know, like, in terms of, I feel like there's always those risers and then, you know, I guess you you don't really see guys fall as often, I feel like, because especially if it's a top prospect like that, like you can even look at like, you know, like like Zion and RJ, for example, you know, like they were on Duke and they didn't end up winning the championship, even though they had all the talent to and it didn't really affect anything. And, you know, it, they still went one and three in the draft. And, yep. you know, Chet Holmgren will, as you said, probably definitely still go. I would say in the top two, three, you know, maybe he slips to four if if a team is mega sold on Jaden Ivey, you know, but like that's probably his floor at this point. But then you have a guy like Inabaji, and I feel like I guess for better or worse, that that always seems to happen because there will be like, you know, the Kemba Walkers of the world that will, you know, have an amazing tournament and then that raises their draft stock to a, a much higher level and it ends up working out for them. Um, but then there's, you know, for every, every Kemba, there's like, uh, 
I don't know. Joe like Alexander. Kaminsky. Yeah. Or, or Frank Kaminsky, you know, or a yeah. Marvin Williams for a really, you know, yeah. a really high a out Chris there Paul. example. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And Chris Paul actually, if I remember correctly, had a terrible last tournament game too. Wow. I think they were upset. or I don't know. They played maybe St. I forgot who they played, but they played like a smaller school. He goes out with like a bad performance, if I remember correctly. Marvin Williams goes out despite like not even being a starter on a national championship team. And he's the number two pick. So I do think lasting your last impression does carry some weight. But like I said, if you really like a guy, then it's not. If you don't like a guy, then, you know, you may give that last game a little bit more power than you normally would for a regular game. All right. I'll be right back in with Raphael continuing this awesome discussion. And, Brace yourself. He's going to bring up a prospect you've probably never heard of before that the second I looked him up, I was blown away and pretty well convinced that he should be a Nick after the draft. But I just got to let you guys know today's episode is brought to you by NBA Top Shot. NBA Top Shot is the officially licensed NFT of the NBA. Connect to the passionate community of NBA fans across the globe and build your collection with your favorite moments from NBA history. NBA Top Shot is the future of what being an NBA fan looks like. It's part trading cards, part stock market, and part fantasy sports with a built-in loyalty program. NBA Top Shot has evolved trading cards and made it easier to buy, sell, and trade by removing the hassle of card grading, shoe boxes, and binders. Their 24-7 peer-to-peer marketplace lets you scroll through all your favorite players and teams. Once you find the moment you've been looking for, you can buy it in a couple of clicks. Now, I hear all the time, why would I buy something that I could watch on YouTube for free? And I tell those people that it's not about watching a highlight. It's about having ownership in the stock market of the NBA's greatest moments. And owning NBA Top Shot moments can get you access to unbuyable once-in-a-lifetime experiences. For example, last year, Top Shot flew out a group of fans to Phoenix for Game 5 of the NBA Finals just for having Phoenix Suns moments in their collections. The following week, Top Shot flew out a group of fans to New York for the NBA Draft. And those collectors got to have dinner with four future first-round picks the night before they were drafted and play basketball with our very own Obi Toppin. If you sign up for Top Shot today, the best way to start is getting yourself a starter pack. You can pull a moment of a superstar like LeBron or KD or star rookies like Kate Cunningham or Evan Mobley for $9. Head over to LockedOn.NBATopShot.com to start building your collection today. So other than... Going into this into this final four weekend, and then obviously the championship game. Uh, other than uh, I'll leave out two names because we'll probably talk about them a little bit in a minute. In uh, Paolo Bencaro and and AJ Griffin, you know I'll leave them off the table because they're the obvious guys that if you if you're looking for top end draft talent, they're probably guys you're going to look at. Um, but who are you watching this weekend from from like a scouting perspective in these final games? And and then let's just say specifically if if you were the Knicks and you're going to or a Knicks fan and you're presuming, you know, the Knicks never move up in the lottery. So the Knicks will probably end up with the 11th or 12th, maybe the 10th pick if they really luck out. Uh, but that's probably their range. Who, yeah. who would you be looking at if you're, if you're like a Knicks fan or the, or the Knicks front office in general, if you're, if you're watching the tournament this weekend? See, I love these type of questions because I've always like tried to make myself the general manager of every team. And actually <laughs> I had a YouTube video that I did maybe two years ago during COVID where I had plenty of time and I like made myself the Knicks GM, like on NBA 2K. I had like the, the suit and tie on with Knicks colors and I pretended to be the Knicks GM. I forgot what, whatever moves that I made, but if I'm the Knicks GM, like I have total control, 
I would probably be looking for a point guard, but I don't know if there is a game changer at at the one that is available in in that range. I do like Kennedy Chandler. I like him a lot. Um, I don't know if I would take him at at eleven. Um, I mean, I think of course you got to do best player available, and I feel like in this draft. After maybe five through ten, I think it's it's I mean it's fluid. It can just kind of fluctuate, and then of course you don't want to have like some redundancy there. Um, but I also feel like let's say a guy like Mark Williams has a great. I mean he's already had an impressive NCAA tournament so far. He's only missed like six of the thirty-one shots that he's taken. He's blocked five shots a few times. I mean he's been a dominant defensive presence. And if you're the Knicks, you may say, all right, well, you know what? He's available at number 11. We have Mitchell Robinson, but we can just save some money. We don't have to pay Mitchell this extension, and we can just get Mark Williams to replace him for cheaper for the next three or four years. So I think that could be an option, depending on what happens with Julius. But then again, even if you move Julius, you still have OB there, so you don't want to like bring in another four. At least in my opinion, I don't think you want to, you know, kind of do the same thing over again. Mm-hmm. I know you just paid Fournier. I know RJ's supposed to be there. So it's almost like point guard or maybe center, depending on what happens with Mitch, is like the only two positions where a top 10 pick is expected to come in from day one and and, and be a starter. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I like Mark Williams there, point guard. I, I thought about Ty Ty. And on one hand, I know that he his play kind of declined a little bit after he sprained his ankle. And I don't want to sound like a, an ageist here, but the thing about Ty Ty that kind of concerns me is he's a freshman, but he's 20. Mm-hmm. He's 20 years old. He's only like a few months younger than Kendall – I'm sorry, than Wendell Moore, who's a junior. So – when I look at the evaluation, it's like, all right, if Wendell Moore was a holdback and was a 20-year-old freshman and he's playing the way he's played now, we'd probably be talking about him as a lottery pick. Yeah. He's average, he shot like 50% from the floor, 40% from three, like five rebounds, four assists on a team that is, I mean, in the final four. So I wonder, like, all right, like, is Ty Ty not being – is he being graded as – someone that has high upside because he's a freshman, even though he's 20 years old. So those are things that I, I kind of ask myself. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I would I, – I'd look for a point guard. Like I said, I think Kennedy Chandler would be my number one point guard on this. But then if I'm the Knicks, I may swing for the fences. And there's a guy that I like named Turquavian Smith from NC State. Not a name that you've been hearing about on draft boards, but he came in – Late in the season, averaged like 16 a game, shot a good percentage from three. He's athletic. He's a shot creator. He's fast. He's, I mean, like a guy that's just kind of like been under the radar. And he wasn't a top 100 if he maybe was a fringe top 100 pick. I mean, um, recruit. But I think he's trending in the right direction. And um, I think Leon Rose has the stability to where he can swing for the fences on a guy like um, Turquavian Smith. So that, that that would be another option for me. Man, yeah, you just made me Google someone in the middle of the podcast because I was <laughs> like, who in the heck 
But hey, I mean, I like the idea. If you were going to try to, you know, nail down a range for him, like on a, I mean, he, he played a full season for NC State. I mean, stats look great. I mean, if you were going to try to nail down a range for him, do you think that he's going to end up more of a second round guy or do you think that he's someone that's going to creep into that first round conversation? Sort of yeah, like I how quickly did almost. Yeah, I th- I think even more so because he's younger. And then you, I think once he gets into these workouts, you're going to start seeing him shoot up these boards. You know, every year there's a guy like during workouts, you're like, what? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. where did he come from? And I mean, NC State was pretty bad. But if you look at the numbers and you compare his numbers to any of the of the other freshmen that we're talking about, his numbers are comparable, maybe even better. Just for whatever reasons, he just kind of slid under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's certainly a name I'm going to I'm going to look more into. And I'm sure that anybody listening is going to look more into as well. I'll be right back with Raphael. We are going to get into probably one of the favorites for the national championship, Duke, and their top two players who, if the Knicks luck out and can move up in the draft lottery, could potentially be Knicks uh, by the time that the draft rolls around. But after months of playing, college basketball has determined the top teams for the final four and will determine this year's national championship this weekend. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info from all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all leagues this season. And I tell you what, I'm checking out some of the odds right now for this weekend, for the weekend's games. North Carolina Duke, I don't know if I quite feel comfortable betting on that game. There's just so much history Going on there, there's there's so much going on. You know, Duke's a minus four favorite over North Carolina, but uh, it's such a, t- a close call. But I tell you what I do feel comfortable with is Villanova plus four versus Kansas. I know Kansas had a great season, but Villanova just finds a way to make national championship games. It's just like what they do. And I have faith that they're probably going to make it again this year. Don't ask me why. Just a feeling that they're about due again based off how things have gone for them over the years. And it's not just basketball. Bet Online is your continued source for all your favorite sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet Online, where the game starts. I want to I want to daydream for a moment as a Knicks fan here. We'll, we'll get a little bit out of well, I mean, this isn't getting out of the tournament conversation because he's still in it. But uh, I, I'll throw this out there with the caveat that I don't believe the Knicks are going to move up. They have not moved up in the lottery since Patrick Ewing. Um, so you know why now? <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I I was looking back at your your big boards, you know, on NBA Draft Junkies and. You had uh, as soon as January, uh, you still had Paolo as your top guy. And we yeah. actually we actually talked to uh, Ricky O'Donnell last week and he echoed the same thing, which, you know, I sort of am of this opinion, like Paolo sort of had that thing about him where he was almost like almost like RJ in a way, like where he was. It seemed like for so many years I heard about him as the number one guy in his class, like forever, you know, and it was just like, look at this 6'10 guy that can put the ball on the floor the way that he can that has the scoring package that he has as a, as a high schooler. Like he's just an unfair prospect. Like he's going to be really good. And now it seems like people are cooling on him a bit. And, you know, now I'm starting to hear, Oh, maybe he's going to be the third pick. Maybe Jabari's jumped in. Maybe Chet's jumped in, whatever. 
Do you still have Powell as your top guy? And if so, why? Definitely. I've had him number one since since the Gonzaga game in November. And I don't I don't get why people are overthinking it. He's the most NBA ready. He's the only guy that I feel like out of Chet and Jabari that I feel comfortable saying, here's the ball, go make something happen. Go get me a bucket. I don't think you can give the ball to Chet and say, hey, go get me a bucket. I think Jabari, you kind of have to like run a play for him or a screen to get him open. But if he is closely guarded, then he's going to take – I mean, he doesn't have like the ability to like put the ball on the floor. And then I think about Paolo being the better passer of the three. So in my opinion, if you're going to be like a, a go-to type scorer, then I feel like you need to have the playmaking ability to where you can make teams – pay for doubling and your scoring opens up your passing and vice versa. And so I think that Bancaro in a sense, like RJ, I never thought of it from that perspective. He's getting penalized because he already has the NBA body. Like you can't say, Oh, well, if he gains 20 pounds, then he's going to be this. (laughs) Or if he does, you know, it's it's like people are looking for the new hot thing, like the new, you know, what's 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 sexy. I mean, Chet was he was in, you know, the, the radar for a while and not saying like Jabari Smith was like some, you know, off the radar recruit. I mean, he still was a top 10 recruit, but I think he was like the flavor of the month for a couple of months. And then people kind of soured on Ben Carroll, forgetting like at the beginning of the season, I think it was like Kentucky. He got off to like this ridiculous start. He outplayed Chet at Gonzaga. Then all of a sudden Chet starts putting up good games in a, a weaker conference. And then, you know, here it is in the tournament. Van Carroll's made big plays. He's by far been the best player of, of the guys that are, you know, expected to be in that range. And one of the knocks on him was, oh, he only shot like low 30s for three. He's either eight of 14 or eight of 15 from three in the tournament. So for me, it's like kind of almost like a, I told you so in a sense, like, this guy has, is the best. And, of course, you know, on draft day, it, it could totally change. But I'm, I'm glad to see that people are starting to, like, see what I've been seeing. And I also feel like the passing skills are slowly starting to be unlocked and showcased. Well, I think that he is a much better passer and playmaker than he's been able to show this season. And I think once he gets in the NBA – You'll, you'll see that he can play some point forward. Yeah, I, I've. that's not the first time that I've heard that either. And honestly, what you said almost mirrors what we heard from Ricky last week as well, as far as the passing being an extremely underrated skill with him, uh, in addition to the fact that he's as, as complete of a scorer as he is. Um, to jump to a different guy uh, that's on the same team, but one that I, I personally have more concerns with, um, A.J. Griffin, who's, yeah. who's Paolo's teammate, He's a guy that that perplexes me a little more. Like I know some people that really love his game and really think like, oh, this guy is going to be like, even if he goes fifth, sixth, seventh pick, like that's almost like a like sleeper range for him because I think he has the talent to be, you know, this, that, or the other. I look at him and 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 the unfortunate thing that I always see is just this like inconsistency in him, and you know the the fact that he could score twenty five in one game and then come back and put up. 
three in the next game, you know, and, and it, yeah. he just seems like sort of a mystery to me. What's your take on AJ and like how his year has gone so far? Cause it's, it seemed to just be very, uh, very much yeah. a roller coaster. Yeah. I mean, I think it started off with the injury. I do believe if he would have kind of been like the starter from day one, then he's clearly their like number two option. I think once he came back, they brought him along slowly. They brought him off the bench, and then they brought him on as a starter. And I think that he's kind of seeing like, okay, the team is rolling. I'm not going to mess things up. So I feel like he's been more so trying to like fit in than than dominate. Which I mean, I, I guess it's fine with me, especially from a from a team perspective. But my concern is it's not necessarily his inconsistencies. My concern would be, you know, his medical history. Like he, mm-hmm. I think he missed if not all, but a good chunk of his senior year with the lower leg injury. I think same thing for like the summer. And then right when, I mean, preseason camp opened up, he had another lower leg injury. So, I mean, to me, that would be the biggest concern. But sometimes I feel like he doesn't miss. I know he shot like 45, almost 46% from three on a decent volume of attempts. He has shown some flashes of being able to create off the dribble He's like sneaky athletic. I know when I first saw him, I was like, ah, he doesn't look athletic because he looks like he kind of has like this pudgy body in a sense. But then there's some times where he'll he'll make some plays where you're like, whoa, you know, he he is kind of bouncy. So um, I think that his inconsistencies are probably more so related to him just trying to fit in more than stand out because he got inserted into the starting lineup so late. And then he also doesn't – he has enough talent to where he is not expected to, like, take over and be the guy. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes total sense. And I I guess – so you think that that's more him not trying to step on toes more so than, like – and like, uh, the thing that I worry about when I look at how things have gone for him is if there's, like – like you, you said to yourself, he's trying to trying to fit in and not trying to like take over. You know what I mean? And yep. that makes me wonder if there's like sort of an inherent passivity to him, which can be a problem. I think at the NBA level, like if you have all the talent but you don't have the 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 chutzpah, you know, to to use it, then yeah. you know what what good is the talent? You know, like do you think that there there's any worry about that, or do you think it's literally just sort of a situation of? I mean, it, it wouldn't to draw back to the the Zion and RJ thing, like it wouldn't be the first time that we've seen a Coach K team where he sort of has his guy, which in the case of that Duke team was actually RJ Barrett, yeah. you know, and then like you see a guy with, uh, you know, arguably as much talent or more like with Zion, where people were saying Zion's going to be the number one pick and yet consistently gets less touches, less shots, whatever than RJ Barrett because of presumably how Coach K is coaching the team. Like, do you think it's a case of that, or do you think that there is a chance that he sort of has a passivity to him? Uh, I think the RJ situation was just RJ just was looking to get his shot <laughs> every mm-hmm. single time. Like, that's kind of been his 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 thing. Like, um, you know, he's kind of predictable in a sense. You know he was going left, and mm-hmm. he wasn't, like, the greatest playmaker. So I think sometimes when you're wired to score and you're not a great playmaker – you're going to end up taking a lot of shots. But also, like I, I think it has more so to do, like I said, is that he came in the starting lineup so late. Mm-hmm. And Bancaro is clearly the better shot creator and better passer. And so I think he's just kind of fitting in with Bancaro. 
But I, I thought that in the last game against Arkansas, he showed me something because when I look at his numbers, and the only reason I know this because I, I just wrote an article, but over like 53% of his shot attempts this year were three-pointers. So it's like he was playing more so of a floor spacer role, I think because he was kind of playing it safe, not necessarily coming out and attacking the rim, coming off an injury. And so they brought him along slowly. And, I mean, he shot well, like 46% from three. It's hard to, like, question a guy's shot selection when he's shooting that well from three. But to answer your question, and I get where you're coming from, you feel like there's more there. Like, you want to see him do a little bit more. And I thought in the Arkansas game, I think he only made, like, two threes, but he made seven field goals, and he had some aggressive drives to the rim. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what you're saying. Like, you want to see more – of that, which which I do too, but I it hasn't like when I think of guys that are being more passive than uh, aggressive. For me, he doesn't necessarily come to mind because he's on such a talented team. But when I think of like Kendall Brown from Baylor, that's the one who I feel like all right. Even though it's the same, you can make a case and say it's the same situation. He's coming on a team that just won a, a title, and he was trying to fit in over stand out. But I feel like he was way too unselfish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, so that's it for this first part with Raphael. That episode ran a little long, so you know if you didn't hear at the beginning, this is going to be a double episode day. So there will be a, a smaller bonus episode out in just a little bit with Raphael, where we're going to go over some other prospects, including Jaden Ivy and how he's kind of shot up draft boards this year. Uh, we'll talk about some other players that uh, you know, Tari Eason and. Keegan Murray, who are two guys that I'm really intrigued by. Raphael kind of makes the case for those guys. He gives yet another name of someone that I had never heard of before <laughs> that he thinks that the Knicks might want to take a stab on as a potential Mitchell Robinson replacement if they decide to part ways with Mitch. So there's a lot of great content coming up in part two. Just keep your ears out, and it'll be in your feeds by this afternoon. If you're listening in the morning or if you're listening in the afternoon, go ahead and check out your YouTube or podcast feed right now, and you can have more of this conversation with Raphael. But until next time, talk to you guys all soon. Peace out.